We want you to become an honorary gosling. Join us. You'll get exclusive access to conversations and content that would otherwise get us banned from social media. Plus, you'll get free digital downloads of some of our books and selective writings. And check this out. You'll get to participate in our live monthly Discord chat and more if you join our exclusive Patreon following that we like to call The After Party. It only costs $5 a month, which is basically a cup of coffee, and it helps us make the show better. We love you guys and can't wait to see you there. Become an honorary Goslings at patreon.com forward slash the Goslings and sign up today. You know, one thing I found, I'm sure you guys have found this too, is that you can write a character that's more intelligent than you are. Oh, yeah. You All know? my characters are smarter that, than me. So. And, uh, and you can, you really can. And even if you're not, uh, even in the third person, you can write more intelligently than you actually are, you mm -hmm. know? And I find myself sometimes using bigger words than I would normally use. Uh -huh. and, yeah. But then again, you're, you are, even in the third person, you're sort of inserting yourself into another, another being than yeah. yourself, you know? You're mm -hmm. writing out of another place, maybe a higher, a higher level. And mm -hmm. that's a big part of the fun of it. Your YouTube feed is crap. Stop wasting your time watching bot-boosted shills and self-appointed gurus cloying for your attention. Instead, join the Goslings interview, live stream, and podcast. The Goslings, a dark-lit digital speakeasy of free thinkers. A super chat of radical truth-seeking wizards who eat trolls for second breakfast. Topics that'll make your mama's hair stand on end. Ideas that'll make your pastor's knees knock. Guests that will illuminate the hidden chambers of your mind. And interviews that strike down the darkness. Welcome to The Goslings. Welcome, everyone. Hey. I'm Jonathan. I'm Nick. And we are The Goslings. Hello. And we are super excited to do this. This is the first of what it should be a quarterly thing yeah. um but uh we're gonna tell you about it in a second first of all we're gonna get through just real quick some front of house stuff absolutely and do all the things take up the broken sword of your finger strike down the subscribe button we'd really appreciate it uh we have something awesome lined up for you today and we have every weekend book for like three months you guys you gotta subscribe hit the bell yeah really appreciate it and yeah. uh with that we'll kick it over to you yeah. for sponsors if you haven't noticed my beard and my hair have looked luxurious lately. So luscious. That is thankful to, we owe all of that to Jardani Jovanovic hair care product. Um, just a husband and wife team. They make these and they sell them out of Arizona. They have a website, jardanijovanovic.com. Real products for real men, or as I like to say, be as sexy as you are deadly. I like that. Give 007 a run for his money with JordaniJovanovic.com. Trademark and, 2022. <laughs> right. And uh, Nick, uh, I noticed we're drinking out of some pretty dope mugs here. I'm fear I'm feeling very... We're not drinking dope out of mugs. No, we're not. We're drinking out of dope mugs. Yeah, out of dope mugs. Yeah. It's very uh, Lakitamonian in mm -hmm. nature. Mm-hmm. Very Spartan-esque. Maybe yeah. you can speak briefly. Absolutely. About these are the Kothan Spartan mugs. Uh, these are handcrafted. Each, every one of them are handcrafted by uh, Joel Cherico from Cherico Pottery. Yep. And uh, these are a replica of what the Spartans would travel in. 
yeah. use, travel with and use, the drink Spartan out Spartan Kothan mugs, yeah. made in conjunction with our guest for today. Shall we? An amazing man, the Jedi Master of writing. Yeah. The guru of defeating resistance. Mm-hmm. The man, the myth, the legend, our friend, Uncle Stephen Pressfield. Hello, Steve. <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm getting a reverb from you guys. It sounds like uh, Cousin Brucey from 1972 in New York City. Oh, boy. Can, can you hear <laughs> yeah. me okay? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we can hear you. Yeah. Yeah, we can hear you. Yeah. 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 How are things since we last talked to you? How you been? Everything's good as long as I'm talking to you guys. Ah, shucks. <laughs> no, shucks. Diana just had COVID for like the last 10 days. Oh, wow. Uh, oh, man, I'm sorry. She's finally tested negative this morning good good awesome it's a long 10 days i bet oh man it'll take it out of you i hope she came through it okay yeah everything's okay now but i am really hearing you guys double this is going to be a little tricky oh okay Uh oh um yeah and i don't know we've all we've had uh some audio issues that's kind of why we're running a little late um yeah i wonder if there's uh some feedback because i know that we had a little microphone issue and uh it's still a little choppy but we'll see if we can't yeah. uh, hopefully sort it out here maybe i should talk maybe i shouldn't yell into the microphone yeah is that I'll, what it I'll, is i'll do my best I'll move this over i'll do so. my best um in the meantime yes we should at least do our toast okay is that all right absolutely yeah and uh <laughs> Okay. Uncle Steve was good enough to uh, join us for our toast last time, and uh, we'll do it again today. Absolutely. And uh, I'll let you start. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Take up the broken sword of your father and Take strike down the, the darkness. Sword of your father and strike <laughs> down the darkness. Cheers. That's right. Cheers, Uncle Steve. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we. Really wanted to do this uh, kind of every quarter. We had had the idea of doing fireside chats with Uncle Steve, mm-hmm. which is where we just talk about writing. We talk about things that you would want people to know that would help them. And we thought the first one right out of the gate that we should probably talk about are good habits that help you in your writing. Um, Steve, what are some good habits that you have had throughout the years that help you with your writing? Okay. <laughs> um, I'm certainly, I'm a, uh, a gym person and I always get, I get up at, I get up at like ridiculously early hours. Can you hear me? We can hear you. Yes, yeah, sir. Okay. I get up at a ridiculously early hour and uh, go to the gym six days a week, Um, which is, uh, I believe, just the the, the really, for me, the only way to start the day. I'm definitely a morning person. I don't write at night. I don't write in the afternoons. And uh, my reason for getting up early is to, and going to, to the gym, is is to, I'm keeping going, but I'm getting major reverb here. I'm hearing myself hey, really? as I talk. Okay. Um, is uh, uh, I'll just keep going. Pretend it's okay. Um, okay. It's it's all about 
resistance with a capital R. It's all about getting ready for the moment when you really sit down and have to kind of confront your own, you know, uh, your own resistance, your own self-sabotage. So the reason for me going to the gym is I want to sort of start the day doing something that's really hard, something that I don't want to do, and yeah. something that hurts. Mm. Um, so I'm sort of just trying to establish a series of uh, little successes as my friend Randy Wallace says, he always likes to start the day with a little success and then another little success and another little success. Take a walk, yeah. walk the dog, take a shower, have a good breakfast, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so um, that's my, you know, by the time I'm done at the gym, first of all, I'm exhausted, but I do feel like I've done nothing I do for the rest of the day is going to be as hard as what I just did. <laughs> so I'm now ready to go. And then I'll come home, you know, have breakfast and then get after it. Yeah. 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 That's uh, the gym going for a run, doing any kind of exercise always seems to accomplish something huge at the beginning of the day and set the template and set the stage for what the rest of your day is going to look like. I like that you try to do the hardest thing first. Yeah. You know, you get those wins behind you. Yeah. Because for me, the hardest thing is definitely, you know, trying to get to a, like getting to a gym. That seems like that would be the most difficult thing. And <laughs> when you get, and you, you hit it so early too. I mean, when do you typically, when does your day start? When does Stephen Pressfield get out of bed and get after all that? I actually, I set the alarm for three o'clock. It sounds insanity. I know. But I'm I'm up at six. I'm at the gym at five. I mean, I'm up at three. I was at the gym at five, and I'm in bed by seven thirty usually at night. You know, wow. like it's kind of crazy. Friends invite you out to dinner. I basically can't go. We can't go. And Diana <laughs> goes to bed with me at the same time. I've driven her insane. You know, she now leads this crazy life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well. And you have to you have to sacrifice somewhere you know you can't burn the candle at both ends in perpetuity so you have to kind of pick one or the other were you ever a night owl were you ever a late person i, I wasn't i was a night owl for years yeah and um you know i was for years and actually i think those were some good years i have nothing against that at all but at the point <laughs> where i really decided that uh I'm in this writing game for real. Yeah. And I really sort of committed to a whole different way of, of life. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, I, I, st I, 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 ha I didn't have success at all until I was in my fifties. And so I've been ever since then, I kind of feel like I'm so far behind the eight ball that I, I got to make up for a lot of little, a lot of lost years. Um, <laughs> So that's kind of why I, I get up early in the morning, trying to catch up. <laughs> I feel that same way at 39. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but you, um, uh, you wrote uh, for a long time, years and years and years before your, before your book, Legend of Back Advance, was published. Yeah. Um, at what point during that journey, writing that, you know, during that writing period, at what point was it? Like what happened when you said, okay, I'm going, I'm going pro with this. Yeah.
uh, I think you and I, you guys and I, we've talked about this before a little mm -hmm. bit, but and it's in my book, The War of Art. Right. It was kind of a moment uh, when I, um, after running away from writing for years and years, I just kind of pulled out my ancient typewriter and uh, sat down for a couple of hours. And I, the first time I'd done it in like seven years and just uh, finally had a moment when it actually worked for me, even though I wasn't producing anything good, obviously, yet where I actually felt good after sitting down. I felt like the, like I feel coming back from the gym, like I'd done something right. Um, and small a moment as that sounds like, it was a huge moment because some gear had flipped over in my head and something had changed. I don't know what it was. Now, be it said, after that, it took me like another 25 years after that before <laughs> I actually got something published. It wasn't like... Wow anything good happened but at least from that point on uh the 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 mechanism in my head was i may start out feeling crazy and hating myself but by the time i'm through sitting down at the keyboard for a couple of hours or four hours i feel sane and i feel like i've done my best you know yeah so so that was a turning pro moment for me, Nick, even though I wasn't going to make any money for another 25 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it sets the stage for you and it builds good habits so that when success does come, you are prepared for it. You know, I have a question for you. Um, you've written so many, so many great novels. You've read a lot of really excellent uh, historic fiction, historic nonfiction. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you wrote the tome on how to be a writer, really. Uh, between all of these works, especially in between novels, which can really take a lot of time, when you're in between novels and you sit down to write, what are some things that you end up writing? Do you always commit to whatever the next story idea is or whatever the next novel is? Or are there these in-between times where you're still writing every day um, and you're coming up with just kind of the unknown when you sit down. Uh, I'm a big believer, you know, Nick, that there shouldn't be any in-between times. Um, and uh, so I really, as I'm working on one particular book, a side of my mind and literally hours of the day that I'll, I'll be trying to figure out what's the next thing. And I really want to know what the next thing is while I'm still in the one I'm working on. Um, and, and, I, and I'll try, I'll start working on the next one, kind of cheat a few hours here and there to get something going. Okay. And uh, I'll do my thing. You guys know my sort of method, my fool's cap method, which we yeah. can talk about sometimes if you want that's, to. That's actually but one of my questions. Of a, a way of uh, getting your arms around a new project and sort of um, blocking it out of your mind in a way that you can evaluate it and say, do I really want to do this? Is this any good? Do I think it has any potential? Is yeah. it not a dead end? Is it going somewhere? Mm -hmm. And I really like to, when I finish one book, to have the other book, the next book, already started, you know, and a real yeah. beachhead in it. And the only time I'll let myself take a vacation is when I feel like I've got some momentum, like I've landed on the beach at Normandy, 
and I pushed <laughs> yep. in another 10 or 15 miles, mm -hmm. enough yeah. so I know that the, the Nazis are not going to drive me back into the sea. <laughs> and then I'll take a vacation when I know I've got a little bit of momentum. Yeah, okay. that's smart. Well, and it allows you to take your ideas with you when you go on vacation because you have that momentum built up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Man, we went to Prague one year. Uh, it's the only time I'd ever been to Europe. And um, I got so many notes out of that. I was able to write a whole novel, a whole novel about uh, a blind Greek mercenary hoplite. So, you know, it, so but you have those ideas beforehand and then you go on your trip and then you're like, oh, this will work for my trip. This will work. You know, mm -hmm. this will work for my book. This will be great. You know, mm -hmm. so, yeah. Um, what habits don't work for you that you see other people recommending? Ah, that's a good one. Um, uh, that's a good one. Uh, I'm not really sure. <laughs> uh, I'm certainly a believer in not overworking something in a, in the particular day. Not to. I'm not. I can't write like for ten hours straight. Yeah. I know, John, that you said you do that sometimes. I, I <laughs> can't of. do that. I'm definitely, uh, I don't believe, I think you have to keep in mind that a novel or any long form thing, like they say, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing at the gym, right? Yeah. You have to sort of look at the at a, almost a year at a time, I think, you know, can yeah. I get anywhere in a year? Because you're not going to get anywhere in a week or in a day. So, mm -hmm. um, at the same time, as I'm kind of hard on myself and I really get up early and I really n never miss a day, I will, I'll be a little easier on myself too. I won't like if I, I remember watching, I have some friends in Kentucky and we all go out to the track and watch them train horses. And one of the interesting wow. things is that the trainers don't really work these thoroughbreds that hard, you know, wow. they'll They'll get them out on the track. They'll learn they have to run, you know, or they'll keep turning left. And they'll work with them in the starting gate and stuff like that. But they won't run them into the ground. They won't run them to exhaustion. Yeah. And I think that uh, that's that's a, something that I try, that I see other people try, and then it does not work for me. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. It's easy to get burnt out when you try to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, these um, days, people are so impatient. Everybody wants quick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm. Yeah. A life hack. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's, <laughs> well, yeah, it's the age of the hack for sure. Yeah. There's no, there's no life hack to writing a novel. You know, you just do. But if there is, the closest thing you're going to get is probably something like <laughs> one of the books you've written, you yeah. know. Um, but so much of the advice that you give in these books has to do with humility and consistency and hard work, you know? So I have another question for you. Um, you've been bringing a lot of attention to this lately on your in, in Instagram page specifically. You've been talking about the fool's cap fool's cap method. So for, for people who haven't heard of this, what is the fool's cap and who is Norm Stahl? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, first of all, 
the word fool's cap, which I had never even heard before. I heard it from my friend. Fool's cap is a, uh, a yellow legal pad, you know, a long page. And, um, years and years ago, when I was uh, really, really struggling with the first novel or two and really, really lost, I have a friend and a mentor named Norm Stahl, who's a documentarian and a writer of all kinds, a screenwriter and a novelist. And he took me out to lunch and he could see that I was like near suicidal and just couldn't get my shit together at all. He took out a sheet of yellow foolscap, a pad, a legal pad from his, and he said, Steve, God made a single sheet of yellow foolscap to be exactly the right length to hold the outline of a full novel. Mm -hmm. And that was a real breakthrough for me. The, the just the idea that you could somehow get it all on one page, not some lengthy Bible that had, you know, yeah. the the life histories of every character and that or an outline that had, you know, eight hundred scenes on it. Mm -hmm. That it was possible that the discipline of trying to put it all on one page, however abbreviated, would really help you. Uh, like if you were if you were designing a, a house and you had to do it on one page, you could do it, right? You could say, you know, a little sketch of where the, where the place is going to be, where the kitchen's going to be, where the front door is, and you would at least get a sense of what you wanted. And it's the same thing for a book. If you've got Act 1, Act 2, Act 3, well, we could go into great detail about it, but it's just doing it on one page really helps. Yeah. One of my favorite things that one of my favorite pieces of advice that you gave was uh, to write the, the 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 climactic sequence, the big scene first. To write how it how everything resolves first, roughly, I think is how how you how you said it, and then and then go back. Do you do that when you're uh, when you're using the fool's cap method and you're putting everything down on one page? Do you I, still I do. have that same approach? I. I do. It's a, it's really a kind of a technique that you learn in screenwriting. That's the way most people write movies, right? Oh, okay. um, if you start with uh, Captain Ahab locked up with Moby Dick, you know, plunging this harpoon into him as they fight to the death, you, then you can sort of work backwards from there, right? Yeah. Got to be a long chase. There's got to be a history between them where they hate each other. <laughs> There's got to be an almost moment where they almost get together, et cetera, yep. et cetera. And then you can go all the way back to the initial start of the voyage. And uh, it, it's, it's definitely a great discipline. I haven't done it on everything, but it, it's a great way to do it. Um, I'll give you the opposite story. I think I might have told you guys this. One of, one of my books is called Killing Rommel. Yeah. It's about... It takes place in World War II in the North Africa campaign. And it's about a British special forces unit that goes, is assigned to go behind the lines in North Africa and try to kill the great German general, Erwin Rommel. And I, real, I had written like nine tenths of the book. Absolutely, this is all true. And I realized I had no scene in the, with Rommel in it. And I said, <laughs> I said, Steve, don't you think you ought to have a scene with him in this thing, you know? So <laughs> had I been smart, I would have started with that scene and known exactly what it was 
and then I would have worked backwards from there. So yeah. okay. it all worked out in the end, but I was really an idiot to work that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, sometimes you don't know until you, you know, until you're in the pickle, how to get out of the pickle, you know? <laughs> Well, I'll tell you, I'm I'm going to take your advice. Uh, I just finished uh, I just finished a kid's book, and that's kind of we're we're beginning the editing process of that right now. But I'm already itching to start drafting the next book, and I'm going to use the fool's cap method. I'm going to start by writing that yeah. that big scene. Well, Nick, I'm actually, I know you know this. I'm doing a little video series on Instagram right now mm -hmm. about the fool's cap method. Yeah. So. Anybody can look them up on Instagram. I'm on up to like episode five or six. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. I'm going to be sticking real close to that. I'm going to stick real close <laughs> to that because I really want to try this. I had never heard of this method before. Yeah. I'd never heard the term fool's cap before. Uh, yeah. But the method of just putting everything on one page, um, that was new to me. So this has been, this is a really interesting, uh, really interesting journey I'm going on here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hang on one second. Yep. We're hanging. Look at that typewriter. I know. That's so cool. And yeah, he's got a Kothon back there, too. I don't know yep. if you can see this. Yeah, The Authentic this Swing. This is a book of mine called The Authentic Swing. And it's about it's about the writing of The uh, the Legend of Bagger Vance. And this thing that's on the cover is the fool's cap, the one-page thing for The Legend of Bagger Vance. Oh, um, so cool. So that's kind of what, what it looks like. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. That's the thing, you know, when you have to work in a confined space, like a single page, single yellow page, it teaches you what is wheat and what is chaff, what's important, what needs to stay and how to articulate it. It's kind of like Steve used to say in I think it was the War of Art, uh, how poets make the best novelists because they understand the economy of words you know and those kinds of exercises you know anything that encourages the economy of words um yeah yeah the yep. fool's cap method is awesome yeah have you used so, it before have you, have uh, you, yeah yeah wow oh, yeah cool yeah i didn't know it was called that though yeah see <laughs> that's uh that's a great thing man every time i go every time anybody goes to your instagram like we always learn something new mm -hmm. you know yeah. it's really cool Oh, I'm sorry. No, that's all right. Um, uh, Nick, you had a couple other. You had one in there that was really good for kids, actually. Oh, yeah, because, uh, you know, I write for kids, and I have kids, and I know that that is not your market. But if Stephen Pressfield had a 10-year-old daughter, <laughs> which I understand he doesn't, but if he did and you noticed that she was, uh, you know, she had uh, kind of some talent budding as a little storyteller, um, how would you like, what kind of advice or help would you give or seek out for her? Cause I'm in that situation with my daughter. What would you advise me to do for her? She's just learning how to tell a story and is thinking about writing wow, books. That's, oh, that's a great question. It kind of, wow. Uh, I know that's kind of out of left field hit you with a curveball. Yeah. Sorry uh, about that. And it requires a lot what? of distilling. I wonder <laughs> if, uh, you could. You can screw a kid up by telling them too much, too soon. Uh, yeah. Maybe it's better to just encourage um, 
her to just keep going, keep doing it and find her, find her just to, to, to keep the fun in it for her instead mm-hmm. of trying to put her into some kind of uh, uh, structure, you know? Mm-hmm. Again, I don't know. I've never done this. I've never worked with it sure, sure, sure. as a storyteller, so I don't know. But uh, when, when somebody asks me to help them with writing something, which I almost never do, <laughs> the only thing I, I ever really do is just encourage them. Yeah. And try never to put any negative thing in there at all. Or, or yeah. I think where I'll go wrong when someone asks me to help them, and this is why I don't help people, is what I, what I do is, and this is bad, what I do is I say, well, if I were doing this, this is what I would do, which mm-hmm. is probably the worst advice you could give to anybody. Because what you really want is to let, encourage them to do what their instinct and what their muse tells them. Yeah. Yeah. So Nick, I would just encourage her just to get, you know, whatever she does, tell her it's great. Keep doing it. Don't stop. <laughs> that I can do that. I can do because everything she does is really great. <laughs> and she'll love to hear that. And she loves to hear that. Everything she does is great. <laughs> so very cool. Well, yeah. thank you for that. I really appreciate you, you weighing in on that. Um, you mind if I ask another one? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I also think, Oh, good. that that's, I also think that that's what we should do for ourselves. Well, yeah. It's self-talk, you know, that at the end of the day, Nick, you did great. Keep going. That kind of thing, you know, to ourselves. Yeah. Well, that's the self-reinforcement principle you talk about in your book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Very, very important. It's easy as a writer to hammer on yourself for not, achieving what you think you should you know um so yeah yeah self-reinforcement very important very very important. i mean it was one it's probably the most challenging it was one of the most challenging things for me in your book personally because i get down on myself really easily yeah you know i'm uh, and you know and every writer's like that too in 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 a way like they want other people to write their stuff they're sensitive to criticism but i'm sensitive to self-criticism i mean mm-hmm. You know, if I'm, so that's something that I'm, that's something that I'm definitely working on. Yeah. 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 The definition of resistance with a capital R is our own negative self-talk, right? And mm-hmm. so we should not encourage our bad self to keep telling that that's coming in all the time, the negative stuff. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I say in put your ass where your heart wants to be that, that the ability to self-reinforce is more important than talent. And I think it's absolutely true because self-reinforcement will keep you going over the years and talent will not. Yeah. Talent will burn out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Have there ever been any books that you were in the middle of Steve that like really tested your good habits? Were there any just nightmare projects that were tough to get through? Yes. I mean, it's like almost all of them do. <laughs> I mean, I've, I do find, I won't say every book, but almost every book breaks down in the middle for me. Yeah. I do have a, a crisis in the middle somehow because I usually have not thought it through well enough. Yeah. You know, I've been lazy and this like Nick, this is why the fool's cap method is really helps 
because the foolscap method, at least the way I do it, makes you ask and answer the really tough questions at the start. You know, like what's what's the climax, right? What's the midpoint where everything turns? What's mm -hmm. that scene, you know? Um, yeah. What's the theme? What's it about? Which we always, at least me, yeah. I want to gloss over. I want to cheat and not really answer that question. And then halfway through, the story falls apart. And you have to kind of, you know, this is where my working with my great editor, Sean Coyne, mm -hmm. has helped me so many times over the years because when I hit that moment where everything falls apart, that's when you really need help. You need another gosling in there that you can <laughs> talk to, you know, mm -hmm. because somebody else can come in and kind of see where you've, you've lost the trail. But yeah. yeah, so it it almost always happens, Jonathan. Almost always, it'll break yeah. down in the middle, and that in a way that's what separates the men from the boys. You know, mm -hmm. when you can somehow rally and keep going. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, I have it right now, and it's the same thing. It's always in the middle. It's always the middle section, and like even right now, I have a chapter that I have been trying to figure out for two weeks now, and it is brutal on a book that I wrote 10 years ago that I'm just trying to finish up, you know, and it's just like, this should not be that hard. Yeah. But sometimes it's just, it's just a, a you know, a stone that you're just trying to bash with your head, yeah. you know? And, uh, and yeah, it's just not giving up on it, you know, and just keep going. For me, it was the end of the book I just finished. Really? I got down to, yeah, because the end was not the thing I wrote first. It was the thing I wrote last. Right. Uh, just thinking, well, it's the end. I kind of have an idea of how I want everything to resolve, but I didn't think through it at all. And I got to close to the end, close to that big final scene. And yeah, it fell apart. It took me forever. Yeah. It took me forever to, to just bang it out and then wipe it and then do it again. Yeah. Um, and we'll see. Uh, my editor might say, mm, I don't like the ending. <laughs> But I had to at least get it done. <laughs> so but that's where it fell apart for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, you talk about doing the ending first or having that scene or what you want out of the ending written down first. I always saw that as a great anchor point. Uh, like the Heavenly Realm series, I wish that I had written all of the books first before I published a single one. Because you you find things along the way that you think, oh, this is a great idea. I wish I had known about this when I wrote chapter one or book <laughs> one so I could plant the seed for it, you know, and have that cathartic build up and and pay off. And nobody can really afford to do it. everybody. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of asking too much of a writer to have them write the whole series first before they publish anything. But having your ending is really important because that's what everything is building towards. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's the, it's the aircraft carrier that the F 14 is going to land on. Yeah. What if the death know? star didn't blow up? Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And that's a dumb analogy. I'm sorry. That was dumb. I should see said there's that. that there's a negative self talk that he's always <laughs> on about, you know, I swear. Yeah. You know, I, um, let me, I want to, let me recommend a book for our listeners here that yeah. maybe yeah. they haven't heard of. This is by David Mamet, the great playwright and screenwriter. Yeah. It's called Three, Three Uses of the Knife. 
Have we ever talked about this, you guys? No, no never heard about this. Ah, it's uh, yeah, Three Uses of the Knife. It's a short book. Okay. Yeah, he he really gets into the second act horrors, you know, and what 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 it's all about. And it makes you feel like if if Mammoth's dealing with this, then maybe the rest of us are not so screwed up to be dealing with it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you want to talk about a genius? Uh, David Mammoth is amazing. Um, his movie Spartan that he wrote with Val Kilmer. There are some scenes in that movie that like. You have to have like a 150 IQ to write that thing. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Three Uses of the Knife yes. by David Mamet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, will you spoil it for us and tell us what the three uses of the knife are? Or do we need to go get the book and read it? You know, I've read the book like five <laughs> times. I still don't know what the three uses are. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. It's good to know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, one of our uh, patrons and fellow published uh, self-published authors, J. Reese Bradley, had a great question. Uh, she wanted to know if you have ever written to market or have you always only written for your passions? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, I'll, I'll say this, that when I try to write for a market, Mm -hmm. I'm wrong. I'm always wrong, yeah. you know, and the, the books that have worked for me have been things that came from my heart and that I thought truly, truly thought there was no market for really thought like I'm the only person that will be interested in this. Like, like, uh, even gates of fire that now mm -hmm. is a, you know, a million seller book. When I started it, if you think about it, a story of a battle from 2,500 years ago. Nobody's ever heard of. They can't spell it. They can't pronounce it. It's yep. from Americans only care about Americans. This is another country with the names of all the characters are unpronounceable. Nobody knows how to say them. Yeah. Why would anybody want to do this book? But I was just seized by it. I love the story. So, and then it turned out to work. So, the bottom line for me is when I follow my instincts, it comes out better than when I, when I think I've got a real surefire project, it, it always just fizzles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it, I remember uh, reading an interview of yours probably 15 years ago of where you talked about that very thing that gates of fire seemed like just a you know a small thing that you and your handful of fellow historical friends you know your historian friends would be interested in and yet it's on the marine corps commandant's reading list it has been you know a million bestseller multiple times over it is the benchmark in my mind at least of historical fiction it is one of the greatest novels ever written and yet at the time, it totally just felt like, you know, a passion project for you. You know, it's funny how it works. I have a confession <laughs> to make about Gates of Fire. Oh, okay, let's hear it. It was the first non-fantasy yeah. novel that I ever read. <laughs> I read it when I was 25, really? uh, I think. Yeah. 
24, 25. Okay. And uh, yeah, it was the first, yeah, first novel that I wrote that I read that wasn't, you know, a fantasy novel. That wasn't, and I was like, things. this, and my older brother gave it to me. Yeah. He gave me a copy of it. He said, oh man, this book's great. This guy's Stephen Brethel. He's awesome. You got to read this book. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, cool. Everything that my big brother liked. I was totally into, you know, and same. Yeah. yeah. And I, I read it. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I gave it to Jonathan. I'm like, you got to read this book. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. And then they kept on reading other people's stuff. And I was like, who is this Pressfield guy? This is awesome. Yeah. Like, you know, and then next thing you know, yeah, like Tides of War and uh, the Virtues of War. Um, Steve, I got a question for you that, uh, came up in an interview that I was doing with Jay Reese Bradley. We were talking about finding your writer's voice. And I know you've touched on this briefly in the past in the war of art. Um, I wanted to ask you, how did you find your writer's voice? And I wanted to maybe have a conversation with you about exploring how people can find their voices as well. Uh, that's a great, that's a great question, Jonathan. I think for, for me, um, it, it arose and it arises from the specific book, like in, let's say, Gates of Fire. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm deciding that I'm going to tell the story from the point of view in the first person, from the point of view of a squire, an armor bearer, to the hero of the, of the battle the true Spartan Dionicus. So that kind of establishes your voice. So it's not my voice, yeah. right? In a way, I'm like an actor in a role and trying to speak as that person. And that, to me, I think really freed me up quite a bit. And I would imagine that if we were um, Scott Fitzgerald and we were writing The Great Gatsby, once you come up with the character of Nick Carraway, mm-hmm. that's the character that's telling the story, then you just sort of imagine yourself into that person and speak in his, in his or her voice. And I think that uh, that's kind of what I've done with, with every book, um, is uh, try to find, it's not really my voice, it's, yeah. the, it's the character's voice. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if you do, if you ever do write with quote unquote your voice. I mean, even if you think about Hemingway, um, where his book seemed so much like it was him talking, I don't know if they really were. I think that was a character that he invented, you know, and it shifted <laughs> from, from, from book to book. Yeah. I've noticed that your voice shifts from book to book. So that makes perfect sense. Now, there's always this specific vernacular and way of writing that you have uh, that I really love. Um, But I noticed after you wrote uh, The Virtues of War, which was uh, narrated uh, by Alexander the Great, which talk about a lofty aspiration, you know, ballsy, pretty ballsy to write a, you know, a book where Alexander the Great's the narrator. 
and then you go on to um, the Afghan campaign, which was written uh, from the perspective of a Macedonian um, phalangite, a Macedonian soldier. And the voices are totally different. And you can tell from page one. It was very, very impressive. Yeah. I think, you know, in a way, Jonathan, it really is like the career of an actor. Like if you think about Meryl yeah. Streep, think about the parts that she's played, the many, many, many parts. And she's completely different in each one, right? Because, I mean, she's still her. She's still Meryl Streep. Right. But she can be, you know, um, Karen Silkwood in the nuclear plant, or she can be Karen Blixen in Out of Africa. She can be, she enters into a role and sort of, gives herself over to that role. I think that's that's what that's what I do. I don't know. What do you guys do when you're when you're getting into a, you know in the heavenly realms or in the children's realms? <laughs> How do you find your voice, Nick? Uh, well, I mean, I I think it revolves around the main character. Yeah. Like uh, I wrote a I wrote a story called uh, Easel Bancroft's Worst Day Ever, <laughs> and it was about this sarcastic self-righteous pretentious homeschool kid who had to actually go to public school for one year and had a uh just in his mind he's just like he just thinks he's better than everyone and he gets wrapped mm -hmm. up in this drama that ends up humbling him uh but it was that that's where the voice came from it was his disgust for the world around him that was his voice yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it was character based and that makes total sense because, you know, because when I'm writing, I'm thinking, is this what is my, you know, what's my voice? Am I supposed to, is there supposed to be some kind of consistent sound or feel mm -hmm. between all of my books? I don't know. I always assumed that there was, but I wasn't, I've never really done that. So yeah. I didn't know if I was off base by just trying to write what my characters want to think and say and do in their, in their unique ways. Or I, I, I don't know. So this has actually been really, uh, reaffirming yeah yeah that's the great thing about uh doing first person perspective is you get to stretch your 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 author's acting ability you mm -hmm. know and you do you have to think like okay because i have two or three books uh in the heavenly realm series that are first person perspective um you know most of the time it's third person but there are some exceptions there and yeah you have to think like would my character say it like this and would my character describe this and also would my character even though this is an important part of the story would my character actually admit to this part of the story yeah or would he just gloss over it you know yeah. and so it's just first person perspective is so much fun it's risky because you're not getting to fill in all the details because your character doesn't see it they're not omniscient but the fun you get to have it's tough it's not easy but have you ever been tempted to um, to sort of dovetail over into third person? Uh, into third person? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it was hard for me, but like A Man at Arms is mm -hmm. in third person, and the one that I'm working on now is in third person. And Oh, really? You know, one thing I found, I'm sure you guys have found this too, is that you can write a character that's more intelligent than you are. Oh, yeah. You All know, my characters are smarter that, than me. So. And, uh, and you can, you really can. And even if you're not, uh, even in the third person, you can write more intelligently than you actually are, mm -hmm. you know? And I find myself sometimes 
using bigger words than I would normally use. Uh -huh. and, yeah. But then again, you're, you are, even in the third person, you're sort of inserting yourself into another, another being than yeah. yourself. You know, you're mm -hmm. writing out of another place, maybe a higher, a higher level. And mm -hmm. that's a big part of the fun of it. Cause then yeah. I'm sure, you know, you have this too, you guys is ideas will come out of your head that you didn't even know you had. Yep. And yep. where you look at those ideas later and you go, wow, that's pretty fucking smart. You know, <laughs> right. How did I come up with that. And of course you realize that you really didn't, it's coming from somewhere else, you know? Yes. Yeah. 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 That's the, that is the beauty and uh, the freedom of the humility of re like when you realize that the humility that you get out of that of realizing that you are you are not the conductor you are the instrument mm -hmm. you know it's it's like faith it's liberating because you're able to just let go and just be the conduit you know just play the song you're not making up the song you're just letting the force flow through you you know and it takes a yeah, lot of stress very, off. it's very much like improv i mean in a way yeah. too it's like if when you're a kid and you get busted for something, right? And <laughs> a principal or a cop or your mom or your dad or it got you dead to rights. And around the spur of the moment, you come up with some bullshit story. <laughs> and as you're yep. spooling out, you're saying to yourself, where this am I good. coming up with this stuff from? You know, <laughs> no, I fell yeah. in the river and my brother jumped in. He got me. There was an alligator. We came out of it. It's like Donald Trump talking. You, know? you, just, you don't know where it's coming from, but yep. it is amazing. That's basically all fiction writing is, right? It's yeah. just, just, yeah. just making it up on the fly. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any, um, any habits or any extracurricular non-writing activities that help you maintain uh, that sort of actor's mentality towards a voice? Like, do you read nonfiction? Do you read poetry? Is there anything you do to supplement or help that? I, uh, I'm a big movie person. I watch a million movies. Okay. And, and uh, rather, I don't usually read novels, which I probably should. But I'm much more of a nonfiction reader. But, but mainly it's movies for me. And I'll watch... You know, the movies that I love, I've, I've seen 15 times, you know, I'll, I'll watch, you know, uh, uh, Pulp Fiction or Kill Bill number two or mm -hmm. um, The Godfather or something. I'll watch them over, you know, yeah. anytime it comes on, I'll get hooked by it and I'll do it again. And I yeah. do think that, and but I do think any kind of art, music, painting, dance, anything at all is it's just great to have it coming in. Um, yeah. Even if you don't steal from it exactly, although I'm yeah. always looking to steal things, but <laughs> it's, it's inspiring to see great stuff. You know, you yeah. come out of a great movie or watching a, or reading a great book and you say, you know, I got to sit down. I got to do, I got to try and do what this guy did. You know, yeah. it's yeah. like watching Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant or something like that. Yeah. When you watch anybody, then you, you're just inspired to try harder yourself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm that way with, I'm that way with several of the Godfather. You mentioned the Godfather, that whole saga, uh, man, I've watched it a dozen times, the whole thing a dozen times. I got to ask one, two or three, which is the best. I'm a two guy. I think part two is the superior yeah. film, but 
<laughs> Where is Stephen Fry? And, and it's okay. They're all great. You're not you're not demeaning any of them. But do you have a favorite of the trilogy? Oh, oh! Another thing I would say on this subject is, I love to read stuff from other eras, particularly nope. from the deep past. You know, really? um, I, I love the ancient Greeks. I love the Romans. I love, uh, mm -hmm. you know, anything in the Middle Ages, anything like that. Um, th it's very inspiring and very freeing. I, I'm not sure why. Maybe yeah. because, you know, there's a tremendous pressure on us, I think, living in the, the Democrat, a democratic world, small d democratic, where we're all supposed to be equal. There's a very an unspoken pressure to dumb ourselves down, right? We don't mm -hmm. want to try to be too smart, you know, because then people will say, well, who do you think you are using a four syllable word, you know? But when you go and you read the classics and you read, you know, you read Xenophon or Thucydides or Herodotus, they yeah. were not afraid to be intelligent, you know? They were not afraid to say, you know, to go really deep. And it's inspiring, I think, to do that. It kind of you have to say shit if they can do it i can do it too mm -hmm. absolutely so I, I love to read the other other uh, eras yeah it, not that your writing was another era but that ex that exact thing that you're talking about was my experience with gates of fire um and then also with uh with the afghan campaign uh and with um the virtues of war uh, tides of War, most of your ancient historical fiction uh, really inspired me in that same way where I saw I saw a man who, you know, a writer who created this work that was equal parts masculine brutality and also elegant and beautiful in the language, not just in the characters and the things that were happening, but just the the language of the writing, the prose. Mm. And I, and there were tons of words that I had never heard of before. I like every one of your books has sent me to the dictionary and I love that. And it, it influenced my writing to where I just I basically, it <laughs> <laughs> no, I stole another, it all. So, you know, <laughs> another thing I love to, that does inspire me, Jonathan is to read nonfiction accounts by the person that actually lived it like war stories about so-and-so that parachutes yeah. behind the enemy lines or that kind of thing or um you know a, a book i really love is uh joshua slocum's sailing alone around the world i don't know if you've ever yes. read that but twice but of course there are uh, yeah there yep. are a million books like that but i love to read these true stories yeah, by these guys that have performed incredible heroic stuff, mountain climbers, that kind of it, because those are the characters you want, we want for our own heroes. Yeah. And it reinforces a lot of times I'll be writing something for a hero of mine and I'll be having them do something or say something. And I'll think to myself, could a real person really do this? Is this like too much like uh you know, Dwayne Johnson, you know, or something like that. <laughs> but that's why it's great to read stories like Shackleton or mm -hmm. the conquest of Annapurna or something like that, because mm -hmm. you realize damn right. There are real guys that do this stuff yeah. and real women and, and they're a great humility too. A lot of them have amazing humility while yeah. they're doing 
incredible stuff, you know? Yeah. So I love to read that. That's always inspiring, yeah. you know, ordeals that people survived. You know? Great. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I felt the same way about, uh, did you ever see that movie 13 hours uh, with no, uh, John I Krasinski? But I know the one you mean. Yeah. Great movie. And um, based off of a book that the survivors got together and kind of wrote, you know, and uh, off of their experiences, you know, surviving the assault in Benghazi. Yep. And that movie, in listening to the interviews and the audio commentary and everything with the survivors, uh, those guys talk about that movie being about 98% accurate. There really were only two things in that movie that were not the same as reality and one was for national security reasons and the other was just for hollywood movie making reasons like the rpgs when an rpg shoots apparently it doesn't have a smoke trail in real life like you see in the movies that's just wow. hollywood right and then the other thing was like the uh, the the main bad guy who worked for the cia in the base who wouldn't let him go wouldn't take him off the leash and let him go save the ambassador you know that guy in reality is two guys instead of one yep. everything else in that movie 100% really happened. Cool. And then there's Very all cool. these other things that happened in the movie that are even that are more extravagant, weird, funny that weren't included in the movie. And, it, you know, it teaches you when you read nonfiction and you, you know, you see these or you watch a, a memoir or something, it teaches you that like real life can be way zanier and weirder and wilder than anything you, you can come up with. And like, do you ever get that feeling that it just sort of frees you to kind of do whatever you want with your writing at that point? Or do you feel like ah, I should probably no, it pull it back a little bit? It does free you. And also what's interesting to me a lot of times about that real life stuff, like um, have you ever read uh, With the Old Breed by E.B. Sledge? Mm -mm. With the Old Breed. It's about marine corps infantry in the pacific yep. nice and what's so interesting to me is the way these guys who are real heroes the way they think of themselves yeah. you know and they don't think of themselves as heroes at all right you know they they're just you know doing a job and so for for me to try to craft a hero i want to try to use that use that you know yeah, that uh, to try to talk the same way those guys talk, you know, and of course, yeah. when you meet people in real life, that's that are like that as well. That's a whole other uh, inspiration. Yeah. So. I realized that when I was uh, training with Tonto Peranto, one of the guys from Benghazi, uh -huh. we were out at Treadproof. This is about like three or four years ago. And we're discussing just some mechanics, whether or not I should, what kind of foregrip I should have. He was helping me with my grip on my ARs. We're running these courses. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, what do you think? You, you know, I was thinking about putting this kind of grip. Do you think I should hold back here? Like, what's better? And Peronda, Tonto, just without missing a beat, exactly like what you're talking about, Steve, was just like, you know what? Whatever works for you is great. I got my way of doing it that works for me, but you do you you know, and I did not expect that coming from a guy of his caliber, you know, an, an army ranger, CIA asked that survivor of one of the most horrific battles, you know? Uh, yeah. So yeah. yeah. The humility thing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and hearing stories about people who are actually really there, really in the action being inspiring. 
is uh, is there some of that behind why you wrote the lion's gate does that tie into your writing yeah. of, of the lion's gate uh that's a, that's a great question Nick. i just was you know that uh that was very inspirational to me interviewing the lion's gate is about the six-day war the arab israeli war of 1967 and to write that i went to israel for nine weeks and I interviewed pilots and tankers and stuff like that. And it was a real eye opener for me because almost all of the stories involved a, a, a screw up of some kind. <laughs> Guys would tell you how, you know, they got into this position and they didn't know how to get out of it, you know. And and uh, so they were they did tremendously heroic things like I'm just thinking of one thing when um the first Israeli uh, Air Force attack against the Egyptian air bases on the first day of the war, the preemptive strike. The way the pilots had to come in was they had to come in 100 feet off the deck. And, and then they would climb to 6,000 feet and invert. And so they're looking up through the top of the canopy, straight down towards the... And a couple of guys did that, leading their squadrons, their, their formations of four. And they looked down, and there was no airfield there. They were like lost. They went. They took oh, a wrong man. turn, you know. And they had to, like, in that moment, they had to like go back, retrace their steps, oh, knowing geez. that that by being late, they were screwing up everything for everybody else, you know. Yeah. But somehow they did it. They did it, and that's wow. inspirational. Not just as a hero stories, but for like you and me as we're writing books, you know, it's like, yeah, we screw up, too. It's not quite as dangerous as you know, being <laughs> in the sky at 600 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the, the stakes aren't quite as high. There's not a no. there's not a small nations, you know. But it does show you what what true action heroes do, what they really yeah. like. Israel would have lost the war if I had been in that situation. It would have been <laughs> you over. guys. I hate to I hate to pull the plug here. <laughs> But I oh yeah, to, I have to get out of here. Yeah, in the next couple of minutes. No Absolutely. worries. No worries, Steve. This has been great. Thank you. Yeah, uh, this is always so much fun. Uh, we hope to have you back for the next fireside chats with Uncle Steve in a few months. Uh, we're hoping to do these every quarter. Uh, where can people find you, real quick, for anybody who might be wondering? Okay, I'd love to do it with you guys. This is great fun. So consider me as long as you want to have me, I'll keep coming back to do this. This is great. You're <laughs> awesome. You're awesome. Stephen great. Pressfield. Thank you, sir. Uncle Steve. We really right, appreciate we it. it. It's great to be your uncle. You guys, you're, you're <laughs> the you best Jonathan, man. I'll see you, Nick. All right. And see you later. Have see a great guys. All right. Bye. bye. Well, that's it for this episode, guys. We would love it. If you tell your friends about the show, maybe leave us a good review. And also consider becoming an honorary Gosling. An official exclusive membership of the Gosling gets you exclusive access to interviews and conversations that we can't have on YouTube. Plus, you'll get free digital downloads of some of our books and excerpts and writing. Uh, also, and check this out, you get to participate in a live monthly Discord chat with us. Uh, we do this once a month now. Um, all this plus more if you join our community on Patreon for just 5 dollars a month i mean that's nothing five dollars a month it's a cup of coffee so go to patreon.com forward slash the goslings and sign up today thanks for listening now go forth and strike down the darkness <laughs>